be building after the exile about Jesus, about the book of Acts and how the church got started, about the church itself and what it's supposed to be, and then conclude where the story concludes with not creation, but new creation. Because And, and the reason we're doing this is, is because, first of all, we have a lot of people in our church who, believe it or not, have never read through the whole Bible and don't know how it fits together. Right? Or if they have tried to read through the Bible, they got like somewhere in Leviticus and they're like, I don't know what this is about or what we're doing here. I'm lost. I'm confused. And they just shut it and shelve it. Right? Um, that must be for experts. I can't do this. Right? But we want everyone to understand what Jesus told his disciples. After the resurrection in Luke 24, there's. Um, a story there about Jesus walking with a couple of his disciples. And they do, they're, they're so confused that they don't even recognize that it's Jesus walking alongside them. And, and they're saying, well, you know, we, haven't you heard about what happened in Jerusalem in these days? And, and he's like, well, what things? And he's like, well, about Jesus the Messiah. We thought he was going to be the guy. And he got crucified, and I, I don't know what happened. And Jesus begins to explain, the beginning with Genesis, going through the whole Bible, how all of the Bible points to Jesus. How all of it is really telling one story about Him. And so what we'll do, even as we're in the Old Testament, lots of you are convinced there's nothing in your Old Testament about Jesus. Okay, but let me just tell you, everything in your Bible is ultimately about Jesus. Either it points forward to Him, is about Him directly, or points backward to Him and is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the main character of your Bible. And we're going to show you all of that. Even today, as we get to the end of our discussion about creation, I'm going to show you what creation has to do with Jesus. Okay? Because it has everything to do with him. All of your Bible is about Jesus. And so I want to show you that. Um, we're going to be, uh, this is going to be the easiest day to find stuff in your Bible that you'll ever experience, okay? You need to turn to the first chapter of the first book of your Bible called Genesis. If you don't have a Bible, um, we've got Bibles for you. We'll actually give you one. Um, and uh, you can see me afterwards. Um, you can download it onto your phone. You can. There's Bibles are are easy to get. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, make sure that we get you one today. Okay. I seriously have a stack of them this high in the office, and we'll be happy to 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 give you one if you want one with pictures. Josh has got them on the table uh, for kids. Uh, you get bored, you want to be able to look at pictures. You can do that. Uh, but I want to point us to the first picture that we have. This is the story of creation. We're going to focus on that. So uh, here's our big goals in this series that we're going to do. There are three of them. One, to get an overview of the whole Bible and how all the pieces of the Bible as a whole fit together. Secondly, uh, to see clearly how every part of the Scripture points to Jesus. And third, to help us all love and follow Jesus better because we know him better and love him more than we did when we started. So three goals. 
So with that, all that in mind, I want you to start at the very beginning. First book of your Bible, book of Genesis. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And if you're able, if you'd stand in honor of God's Word as I read the first verse and pray for us. This is what the Word of God says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. And we rejoice to worship you. We are delighted to gather with your people and celebrate all that you have done for us, uh, all that you continue to do for us, not only in Christ, but in the fact that you have made and you sustain the universe until the day when all things are made new. And Father, we pray as we, um, as we gather around your word that you would help us to worship our way through it and to love and to follow Jesus better because we were here to hear from you. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as we start worshiping our way through the text, you need to know that this book and this chapter are hugely important parts of your Bible. In fact, the great Christian apologist and philosopher Francis Schaeffer said that Genesis 1 is the Bible's most important chapter, and Genesis 1.1 is the most important verse in the entire Bible. And it is because it tells us some very important truths. And one of the most important truths that it tells us is that God existed before the universe. God existed, according to Genesis 1.1, God existed before the universe. When we know that is true, we know several other things to be true. We know that God is, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we know that God is eternal. In other words, He exists before everything else. And He continues to exist afterward. Uh, he is also singular. How many gods are mentioned in Genesis 1? One. So how many gods are there? One. Okay, so he's also, because he created everything else, that means he himself is also uncreated. It means that he is transcendent. Now that's a, the, that's a $50 theology word that means that he exists above and outside of the rest of things that exist in the world. Okay? Uh, he is transcendent. And he is personal. Things which are not, um, which are not, um, since he is a being rather than a thing that is um, equal to and um, uh, part of the universe, he is personal. Okay, so so what I mean by that is this: if you're a if you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or um, you know, some a Shinto or one of these other kind of pantheistic religions, what you believe is that God and the universe are basically like one thing, right? And those of you who like Star Wars, that's the view of Star Wars, right? Luke, the force is all around you. It's in the rocks and the trees. You know, you know, that whole thing with Yoda, right? Um, where uh, that's the view of God of, of those religions is that 
is that the universe and God are the same thing and that God's being and the universe's being are coterminous with one another and that God is what we call the union of all created things. It's the spiritual force, this energy that permeates the universe, right? Um, the Bible says that God is a personal being who exists outside of the universe and brings the universe into being. So he is distinct from it. He is not equal to it. And that, in fact, God has to create space in order for the universe to exist. And then he puts the universe in it. So the time, space, mass, universe exists as the creation of a personal God and exists outside So, um, so because of that, that means also that God is, since He is separate from and prior to the universe, that He is the creator of all of the rules and laws that govern its operation. And because He is the, the person who put them all in place, that means He is not Himself bound by them. Right? So can God, can God intervene? In creation. Yes, he can. How do we know? Because God created it, right? Like, it'd be like if you went down to the pet store and you bought yourself a fish tank, right? And then you got yourself some water and some fish and some little rocks and, you know, a little pump and maybe a treasure chest in there just to, because you want to pretend it's a pirate day uh, or whatever, right? And, um, and, you got your, and you got your little fish universe you've created, right? Can you reach into the fish tank? Yes, you can. Why? Because you exist outside it. You feel me? God created the universe, and as a result, can He reach inside it and do things? Yes, He can. So are miracles possible? Yes, they are. Because God exists outside of the universe that He made. So, uh, you add all these things together, you automatically eliminate every kind and variety of, I'll go through the list, atheism, polytheism, and pantheism from consideration. These things cannot be true, and Genesis 1.1 also be true. Now, Genesis 1.1 might be wrong, but if it's true then you can't be an atheist, you can't be a polytheist, and you can't be a pantheist. You see why this is important? It tells you who God is, why the universe exists, and what kind of God that there is in the very first verse of your Bible. So we have a God that is singular, personal, eternal, transcendent, uncreated, and God. Singular. God, being who created all things. And, and that's the first important truth that we learn, that God exists before the universe. And secondly, that God created everything else that exists. He himself is not created, but he created everything else that exists. And I want to show you that uh, in verses uh, 2 down to 25. I'll just read them to you. 
Again, this is what the Word of God says. The, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing light, uh, bearing fruit which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So notice what's on the list of the things that God made. Light and darkness, water, land, the sky, uh, its atmosphere, every variety of plant and tree and vegetation, the sun, the moon, the stars, every creature that lives in the water, right? Not just the fish, but every little critter from the plankton to the giant uh, cetaceans that swim and blow air out their blowhole. God made them all, okay? Uh, every... Every bird, every winged creature that flies through the air, every kind of land-dwelling creature, every little critter, from the little bitty red ants to the elephants, the mammoths, 
the dinosaurs, whatever, has dwelt on the earth at any time. God made them all. And not to mention that God made the earth itself and the space in which it is hung. How big is the universe? Well, the nearest star outside of our solar system, if you could travel at the speed of light, would take you 4.3 years to get to the nearest star at 186,000 miles per second. That's the nearest one. There are stars that are 25,000 times bigger than our sun. In other words, 25,000 of our sun would fit inside them. Is that a big star? Yes. Uh, by the way, 25,000 of our earth, which is 25,000 miles in circumference, would fit inside the sun. How big is the universe? It's big. How powerful is God? Big enough to make all of that, and notice how he does so. With a word. The thing that, stand, that ought to stand out to you, it says, and then God said, and it was so. So in other words, out of the creativity in God's brain, he sees all of these things and he speaks them into existence. And they're there. I don't know, I, I don't know what kind of creativity causes you to make an elephant. But you think about an elephant, I mean, it, you know, that, that, that's a weird looking critter, right? We got a we got a creature with a nose that that functions like an arm that it can tear down trees with, that digs in the ground with its teeth, that can blow water over its own body with its nose, right? I mean, I can do that too, but not in any kind of a graceful way, <laughs> right? And it looks gross when I do it, <laughs> right? Um you know, you think about a giraffe as an example, an animal that is like 20 feet tall. It's like a horse with a seven-foot neck, right? With spots, like a, with, a, with spots like a leopard that can run like 35 miles an hour, which is, by the way, twice as fast as an Olympic sprinter. That's crazy. Right, But God made all of those things. God made the stars. He made the birds. He made the bats. He made the insects. He made the trees. Like, I can tell you what, I'm, I'm not very artistic. You know, Brian DuPont actually did the artwork for this. I'm not very artistic. Um, people have different gifts. That one is not mine. Okay, I like art museums. I like art. I like to study all those things. I love to just sit in front of a painting and just look at it for a long time. But I can't do that, right? And if I was called to make trees, we'd only have like one kind. <laughs> like, I need like 40 billion trees. Okay, here we got them, <laughs> right? Um, flowers, okay. Well, I really like yellow, so here we go. Boom, there's the flowers, right? No. I mean, just in my yard, I think I probably have 50 or 60 different kinds of trees 
growing on the hillside behind my house. I have shrubs. I don't like shrubs, but I have them, right? Uh, I have you know tall trees and short trees and giant big trees and little skinny ones and you know different kinds of flowers, different kinds of grass, some of which I mow and the other of which I uproot, right? Uh, we have different kinds of all these things. God in all of His creativity made all of these things, and He made them with a word. He made them in the beginning. All created things that God made have a beginning, therefore, right? They're not eternal. In light of the fact that God made day and night and put in places, in their places, the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon, it is apparent that God not only made the, the universe itself, but also time and the objects that are used to mark it. How do we measure years? By the rotation of the earth around the sun. Right? Where does the word month come from? From the cycles of the moon that change with the rotation of the earth. We're going to hang this space rock out here that's going to control the movement of the water uh, around the earth. That's where you get waves and so forth from on the earth. Did you know that? That it's the moon that causes the cycles of the tides. We're going to be able to measure not only time in a year context, but time in a, in a, in a galactic context because you've got constellations in the sky that vary according to the where you are in that trip around the sun, and you can tell exactly where the stars were at any given point at any given period in history because they function like an enormous clock. And those stars are millions and millions and millions of miles away from us. God created a way for time to be marked through the stars that are fixed in the universe. God made time, space, mass, everything in the universe. Nothing existed before creation except God. And then God made everything from nothing and did so by speaking it into existence. By the way, science will tell you that the universe comes from nothing. Now they have a name for it. They call it the Big Bang. Okay, But what the Big Bang actually says is that a point of matter infinitely dense and having no dimensions. Now what does that sound like? Something which has no dimensions is another word for nothing. <laughs> okay. Um, all of a sudden, at one point in time, expands vastly. And all things come into existence at a fixed point in time, giving rise to time, space, mass, creation. Now, the scientists most of the time will not tell you that sounds a whole lot like Genesis 1, but that's what it sounds like to me, is that all things come from nothing. 
and they were brought into existence by a God who created everything. Uh, His powerful word, you note this, what's the creative force in Genesis 1? The word of God. Highlight that in your Bible. You're going to want to remember that for later. (laughs) Okay. Um, There's a lot more that could be said, but let's leave it for now and go on to the next great truth from this chapter, which is that God created humanity in His image. Look at the text. This is what the text says here, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over everything, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, these verses, if you've been following along, represent a break in the typical pattern. Everything else in creation comes into being in a similar fashion. About the creation itself, God says, let there be. And all of a sudden, that thing exists. And so God creates the plants and the creatures of the earth, and God speaks and He calls on the location that those things will live in to suddenly be filled with them, and then they're immediately present. There are suddenly plants on the earth of all their amazing diversity and types. There are suddenly winged creatures in the air. There are suddenly water-dwelling creatures in the water and every variety of land-dwelling animal on the earth. But when it comes to humanity, look at what we get. We get something different. A deliberate, personal act from God about humanity, God says, let us make, not let there be, but let us make. We are specifically, in other words, crafted by God himself because human beings are unique in all of God's creation. In fact, the the text says here that we are not made according to their kinds, like everything else that lives on the earth but in God's own image. And that means that we are finite creatures who share some attributes with and resemblance to God Himself. Now there's a lot more to this. First, understand this. I'm going to give you the highlight reel on this, okay? What it means to be made in God's image. But the first thing it means is that we are personal creatures. God speaks of Himself. When He speaks of Himself, look at what terms He uses. He uses the words us and our. Now note that it's a singular God who speaks of Himself in the plural. Okay, more on that later. (laughs) Okay, but for now, note that God is not merely singular, but multi-personal within that singularity. And we'll come to understand more of what that means more fully later in Scripture. But for now, note that God is Himself personal and He creates personal creatures that are like Him. 
you and I are persons. We are people with capacity for relationship with one another. We're able to relate to one another. Now I know that I know that your dog loves you. Your cat may be super affectionate. Okay. Um, but mostly that's because they have spent a lot of time around you and you feed them on a consistent basis. Right? It's not a personal relationship. They don't talk back. Right? The, the, the best I can get my dog to do with her mouth is to lick my ear. <laughs> right? Uh, just kind of listen to me and look up at me and like, are there snacks today? <laughs> right? Um, that's kind of the extent of our relationship, right? Uh, she wants to be laid on and have her belly rubbed and have me talk to her and feed her pieces of fat. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, it's not a personal relationship in the same way as with another human being. Right? You and I are personal creatures. We are like God in that sense, that we have a capacity for relationship. Second, the, bi the biblical term for us people here is the word man. Okay, now don't get hung up on that. I know our culture has different views on how we ought to be addressed as a collective, right? But the collective term in your Bible is man. Um, we might like the term humans or humanity better, but the meaning is the same. All people are part of this one type of creature. All humans are part of the same critter called man. And that God made man, that being, in his image. And you should note, too, this is important, that both male and female versions of that creature are included in that. And therefore, both bear God's image as part of the same creation. You feel me? So it's not that man bears the image of God and women don't. No. Man, as a collective critter, bears the image of God, and both male and female versions of that critter reflect God's image. So both male and female bear God's image. And note this too, that God's design is for two sexes. That's why what you may have heard, um, inanimate objects have gender. They can be masculine, feminine, neuter, etc. English. Human beings have sex. They are male or female. Human beings are a sex-differentiated creature. Male and female. So God's design is for two sexes who both reflect His image uh, as God. And further, since God is the ruler of creation, Part of what it means to be God's image bearers is that we too are given rule over creation underneath Him. You see that? It says, let us make man in His image, in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the livestock, over the earth, and everything on it. So, God rules over all creation. We are sub-rulers of 
the earth and the critters on it. Okay, that's part of our role. That uh, and God, um, in fact, in a manner different from how God blessed the sky and the water animals, God blesses the first people and calls them not only to reproduce and fill the earth like He told them. He also says to do so under God's rule as creator. So in other words, we are made by God to be sub-creators and vice-regents of this planet. That just as God is a creator, you're not a creator, you're a sub-creator. You pick up the things that God has made and use them to make things. Right? You don't create ex nihilo. You pick up the things that God has left for you here and make out of them. Right? Whether that's building houses or painting paintings or sculpting or, um, you know, accounting or whatever it is that you do, you do so as part of your created nature because you reflect the image of God. You are a sub creator. And after all these things, we learn something else from this passage that God created all things in harmonious goodness. So if you look at verses 29 down through chapter 2, verse 3, this is what the Word of God says. And God said, Behold, I've given you, meaning, um, meaning us as people, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree that with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, do you see this verse, these verses here? Um, you see what's missing? There is no death. There's not one creature on the earth or in the sky uh, or in the water that eats anything but fruit and seeds and plants. After six previous announcements that God's creation was good, here we read for the first time that the, the way in which it all fits together is described as very good. It is so good that there's not anything else for God to do with it. And so he just rests on the seventh day. Uh, and again, there's more I could say here, but the main point of these verses is what I've already said, that God created all things in harmonious goodness. It all fits together perfectly. There's no death. There's no predation. There's not any scavenging that needs to happen. Right? Now, next week we'll talk about, okay, how did we get from that this mess that we're in now, <laughs> okay? And we'll go into detail on how that all worked, right? Uh, I'll give you the short answer right now. The word is three letters. It's called sin, right? Sin by people who were made in God's image broke the world 
and broke people as well. All right? Um, so why did all these things go wrong? Because of sin. All right, now, I want you to flip from here over to the New Testament for just a minute, to the book of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, and, uh, and I just want to show you a little bit of this here, because this is how this relates to Jesus. Remember, I told you that one of our goals is how does creation, how does every part of the Bible tell us about Jesus, and how is Jesus the point of all this, okay? And there are three passages that are there. We're not going to look at all of them. You can look at all of them, and you should, okay? Be a Bible scholar. It's not a bad thing, all right? Um, but study your Bible and, and read these. But uh, we've come to the end of this section of Genesis. I know some of you are wondering, uh, okay, well, how could that possibly have anything to do with Jesus? Like, I remember a nativity story. I remember wise men. Like, what does this have to do with Jesus? Okay, here's where it has to do with Jesus. I want to look at the first three verses here of this. Or actually, let me read you a little more than that. Follow along with me. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, how does this book start out? In the beginning... How did Genesis start out in the beginning? What is John saying? What John is saying is that the same word that God spoke to bring all things into creation, into existence, is part of our earlier question about who the us is in the let us make Part of the answer to our question in the who us is, is God the Father and His living Word, John the Son. How did God bring creation into existence? He spoke and His Word created all things. And here John is making explicit who the Word is. That the Word is not just it's not just vocabulary that God expressed. The Word is a being who existed with God in the, in the beginning, a person who existed with God in the beginning, that God's creating Word took on flesh and became incarnate as a person that we can meet face to face, and that person is Jesus Christ. In fact, later he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what does creation have to do with Jesus? How did it get here? The Word made it. God's Word is not just, is not just a vocabulary spoken into the, the darkness and void. It is a person of God Himself who creates all things. In other words, when you see God speaking in your Old Testament, 
And you'll read, you'll read this over and over again. Okay? And it says, the word, of the, the word of the Lord came to Moses, saying, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it. Right? What do you imagine that is occurring right there? What John is telling us is that when the Word of God speaks, it is this person who is speaking. It's not just that, that, that Jonah got some disembodied message or that Moses heard a voice. It is that it is the Word of God is a person who speaks. And that person brought into creation all things that exist. And that person took on flesh and became fully human in addition to being fully God. Now, this is not a minor idea that's unique to this passage. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, you look at Colossians 1, they both explain and clarify this even more. And the more we understand this, the more our wonder grows. How can the Creator of all things, who existed before it and made it, enter into it as one of us? That is the central mystery of the Bible. How can the God who made all things become one of the creatures that He made and enter into it and live among us? But that is what John is declaring to us. That the same God who spoke into existence the stars took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Okay. And if you don't understand that, you won't be as nearly as impressed with creation as you should be. But the central story of the Bible is that that God, the God who made all things, became one of us and lived among us. So, what does Genesis have to do with Jesus? Everything, <laughs> essentially. God's divine word by which he made all things and without which nothing exists, that exists, became one of us. And we'll get into why he chose to do that more next week. But don't miss the significance of these truths. Because when we understand these things that Genesis 1 is telling us, you can rejoice more easily and more greatly, and you can live your life more purposefully. Okay? Since we know that these things are true, here's what we know. And this is how I want to leave you. That since you bear God's image, you bear God's image. Every single human being that exists is a creation of God who exists in His image. And that means that no human being is less worthy of honor. That means that no human being is disposable and it means that regardless of your age, your sex, your race, your color, any other distinguishing characteristic, the most important one is the one that you all hold in common, that every single human being bears the image of God and are therefore holy in a certain way. 
You are distinct from everything else in creation. You are more like God than you are like a chimp. You bear His image. Human beings are the most holy creature that you see on a daily basis and you should honor each other as such. Because that person that you talk to maybe for a few seconds at the checkout at Kroger is one of God's image bearers. That person who roars past you and cuts you off in traffic is God's image bearer. That person that you fight with at your dinner table is God's image bearer. This is vitally important. No human being is, is worthy of anything less than honor and respect and kindness and affection and love regardless of what distinguishes them from you because they bear God's image alongside you. Secondly, that God made both sexes to reflect His glory as His image bearers. That not only means that sexism is a corruption of God's design and is wrong, but it also means that all of the other disordered ways of thinking about people's fundamental identity as male and female are also wrong. Is that too blunt? There's male and female. And both of those things, those identities are good. They're good identities. Is it good to be a man? Yes. It's a good thing to be a man. Is it a good thing to be a woman? Yes. By all means. It is good to be a man, to be a woman. And a, and, and a man and a woman reflect God's image. And trying to be something else is a distortion of the way that God made you to be. If you're a woman, rejoice. God made you in His image. And you don't need to mess with that. His design for you as a woman is good. If you're a man, you don't need to mess with that. There's a goodness to manhood and to masculinity. That reflects God's image. And it's a good thing. Uh, every other way of thinking about that is disordered. Uh, thirdly, you are the pinnacle of God's creation. I don't know if you notice, but everything in the, in, in the creation account is made to make the earth suitable for you and I to live on it. So that there's trees and flowers and plants and stuff for us to eat and enjoy. Have you noticed that you have color, uh, the ability to see color in your eyes? You know why God did that? Because He loves you and He wanted you to enjoy His creation. Have you ever had a, like, we were down on the island, you know, and we were eating really good fruit. Have you ever had a really good mango that's been picked off of the tree and served to you? It is an experience to write home about. It really is, okay? Why did God do that? Why do you have four different kinds of taste buds in your, in your mouth, right? Because God made His creation to be enjoyed by His image bearers. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. That means not only is your existence not accidental, 
but that you are made for the purpose of serving under him as sub-creators and lords and ladies over his creation. And the creative desire and capacity within your soul reflects God's purpose. And your desire to order the world around you, whether that's your garden or your car or your wardrobe or your file cabinet, whatever it is, reflects God's image in you. All your creativity and your capacity for governing things and arranging things in a way that pleases you comes from God. When we make things and we arrange things and we create things, we should do so in fulfillment of God's glory and His purpose for us. It was God who made you a mechanic, let's say, or an accountant, or a gardener, or a preacher, or a writer, or a painter, or whatever it is that God made you. Whatever God has made you and how you express your creativity, how you express the way that you approach the world is part of the reflection of God's design for you as His creation. And it reflects His glory as you do that thing, whatever that is. And your life, therefore, has eternal significance and value because Jesus came for you. After all, why did the Word become flesh? Because God loves His image bearers. And as we'll see next week in more detail, God's good and harmonious creation did not stay that way. And so the infinite and eternal Word of God became finite human to redeem not only us, but all creation with us. God will make all things new once again, but He will do so by making His image bearers new once again. Fix us to then fix the world that we live in. Okay? That's where we're headed. That's the big story of creation. Not to let too much out of the bag all at once, but that's the big story. From creation and new creation through Jesus who came to rescue us as the eternal Word that became flesh. The same God who made the universe will restore the universe. The same God who made you to bear His image will restore you through faith in Jesus. Um, Let's pray. This is a good spot to stop. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You are a powerful, personal, eternal God who loves us, who made us, who came for us to restore us, and who will one day restore all things. Father, help us to uh, to love You and to know You and to follow You better because we understand something of Your purpose and Your design and the beauty that You have splashed through creation tells us something about the kind of God that You are. Father, help us worship You well now as we close and help us to live in a way that reflects the fact that we belong to You as Your image bearers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.